Welcome to Parish, a podcast brought to you from St. John the Baptist Catholic Church in Clontarf. We reach out to share with you some of our life and activities as we celebrate our faith and strive to encounter the Lord. We invite you to discover with us how faith is very much alive in our community. Thank you for joining us. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Parich. Today, we are joined by Brian, the cantor at St. John's. Brian, when I first asked to interview you, you provided me with a magazine interview you did a few years ago. In it, you mentioned that you started singing in church at the age of six. What led to this? I lived in Hove mm-hmm. in County, North County Dublin, and my aunt was the church organist, and she was also the uh, choir mistress. And I was brought, in those days, children were brought to Mass quite young. Mm -hmm. And we sat very quietly because if you didn't, you were in trouble when you went home. (laughs) (laughs) So I sat with my granny. And when I was five, there was a show called Hans Christian Andersen was being put on in Hoth. My aunt was the musical director. And there was one particular part that were finding it very hard to cast. Mm -hmm. Now, the person didn't have to sing, didn't have to speak, didn't have to dance or do anything. Just walk on stage and all the other boys and girls came on, laughed at you and shoved you around the place and made fun of you. But you had to have your head shaved. The part was the ugly duckling in Hans Christian Andersen. <laughs> so for years I was typecast as the ugly duckling. How and, wonderful. But I didn't want to do it, even though there was a small fee in it. But I was a little bold boy at five years of age and I told my auntie I would only do it if I could join the choir. And you could only join the choir at seven. So my aunt was a bit stuck because every time anyone else was cast, their mammies and daddies took them out of the show and said, my child is not ugly. But my family obviously thought I was ugly. (laughs) After a lot of arguing, my aunt went to the parish priest and said, look, I have this person, but, you know, he'll only do it. And the parish priest thought it was very funny and said, well, look, why don't you change the age for joining the choir from seven to six? Mm-hmm. So on the 20th of May, 1952, I began my singing in the children's choir in Holt. And why did you want to join so much that you were willing to blackmail your aunt? <laughs> I love that word. I actually don't know. I just, I used to go to Mass every Sunday and I loved the sound of music mm-hmm. and I loved the singing and uh, I just wanted to do it, in fact. And, and from then on, I was hooked when you went on stage and people started clapping. Uh, I don't know why they were clapping. But they were clapping and, and I could hear them saying, oh, God, love me, you know, and all the other kids pushing me, shoving me and everything. And then they took my hat off and everyone could see because it was supposed to be very ill. That's the, the ugly duckling is very ill and not very attractive looking. So I just had this urge that I always wanted to sing. And it went from there, you know. So that's what began. And it began in church. Yeah. And, and I'm glad it began in church, you know. It clearly developed because then you went on to have make a career out of singing. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about that? In the early days, I was sort of, uh, I had a song and dance act with my little sister, who was a very good dancer. We got involved in professional shows and I was in the Theatre Royal as a, as a kiddie. So that grew and then I began to do competitions as a boy mm-hmm. and I won some competitions. Nice. And then I was doing some acting as well. I went to a place called the Brendan Smith Academy of Acting and I was doing Irish dancing. And then I got lucky and uh, I went to a very good singing teacher and I won some competitions here when I was only a teenager and I won competition in London as well. And it sort of just followed on from there. Then I was asked to join the Rathmines and Rathgar Musicals. I had a chance to go away 
at that stage to a, a, an opera company in England, the Doily Cart Opera Company, who specialised in Gilbert and Sullivan operettas, um, the Gondoliers and the Omen of the Guard and all those sort of operettas. But I met a girl and she changed my life. I decided never to go away. And we married. And in the meantime, the singing, she was also singing. And it grew from there and just people started booking me for things and... Uh, I got lucky. My wife had done the Eurovision Song Contest and she happened to know the producer of the of the Eurovision quite well. And he came into a show called Jury's Cabaret and I was on stage that night and he sort of made a funny comment. Who's that Egypt down there making that awful noise or something? And Mary, my wife, who was then my wife, who was married, said, no, that's no Egypt. That's my husband. He deserves a break. And less than a week later, I got a phone call from what had come an audition. When I got to audition, he said, I don't want to hear you singing, you're awful. And he was an awful man for teasing people. He said, do you want to do a show called The Likes of Mike? And that lasted 15 weeks and the New Year's Eve show. So after that, I did various other shows and sang with opera companies. So that's the way it really grew bit by bit. People asking me to do things, you know. And since your career sort of started in church, did your faith help you during any like difficult moments in your career? Yes, it did. I mean, our eldest little girl, Caroline, died, and that was a very tough time for Mary and I. It was 1974, and she died the day she was born. Mary had a very tough time that day, too. And I had to go on stage that night, and that was hard. But then again, the night my granny, I, was, I wasn't reared by my parents, I was reared by my grandparents mm-hmm. and my aunt. And my, the night my granny died, I also had to go on stage, because the show had to go on. And yes, but I suppose this way, I don't know about you, maybe you're very lucky, I find it hard to pray. I do find it hard to pray. Like when I'm just saying prayers, I get very distracted quite easily. I do too. And I found it, eventually it was a priest who said to me, but you're Brian, you're praying all the time. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you're singing. And St. Augustine said, he who sings prays twice. So that's my way of praying, you know. Um, n- not that I don't try to pray, but I think I'm pretty bad at it. Um, <laughs> so yes, the two helped each other. And uh, I-, I suppose that's the answer to the question is yes. Very much so. You said that singing in church and just in general helps you helps you pray. So what does it like mean for you? Because I know like when I was in the choir, it also just genuinely just helped me keep track of the mass. I was like, okay, it's beginning. Now is the psalms. Now it's communion. <laughs> it's like you put it in one. That's it. You actually stay involved. Yeah. And the more you're involved, the more you learn about it. <clears throat> and when you understand what singing was all about in church in the old days and i'm talking even before i was born they'd never trusted the congregations to sing it was always done by monks and brothers and they were known as lay vicars in the anglican church today they still have what they call lay vicar chorals who sing in the choir and, and it wasn't until after martin luther came that the congregations were encouraged to sing because martin luther rightly realized that singing is the second highest form of prayer after contemplative prayer. And it's far higher prayer than the verbal prayer. As I say, so much so that the church didn't trust the people in the pews. They used to have to just kneel there for big, long, two-hour-long masses while all this singing went on up on the altar. And I think, to me, leading other people to sing when I was asked to do it, and I was asked to do it by accident by a priest, a well-known priest, Father Sidney McEwen, who asked me to sing at his mass when I was over in England. He said to me, were you ever a cantor? And I said, no. He said, well, you will be. And as a result of that, somebody taught, suggested I learn how to lead the singing. And that is, to me, a very great encouragement because you hear other people singing and it becomes less about you. And it must never be about you. To me, when you're singing in church, because you're singing, if you believe, you're singing in front of the person who created your voice. And therefore, it becomes very important that you don't become a performer in, in church. church. That's different if you're doing a concert. 
course you perform then. But when you're actually singing your mastery that you must never become, I feel I must never become a performer. And I saw people sometimes up there and I'd say, God, isn't she lovely? You know, she's gorgeous, lovely dress on her, or he's looking a very fine, handsome fella. And I suddenly realized they were all about performing. And then I suddenly said to myself, hey, why are you pointing the finger at other people? That finger's probably pointing back at you. Um, there's a famous old saying in, that uh, salespeople are taught that what? when you're pointing the finger at somebody saying, it's you, it's you. How many fingers are pointing back towards you? And many are pointing at the other person. And I said to myself, I should look to myself. And I actually wrote a prayer to make myself think about humility. I say before every time I sing in church. And sometimes if I'm nervous, which I would always be, I would say it before I sing even in a concert hall or, or a theatre. And it makes me think. For that moment, it makes me think. It doesn't mean I'm a particularly holy person or anything. Far from it. I'm anything but holy. But it makes me think about what I'm doing at that particular moment. And to me, I'm just saying thank you and inviting other people to join with me. And in some ways, I really prefer to be a cantor than a soloist, although I've had obviously lots of opportunity to sing as a soloist in church um, over the years. But that to me is what it's all about. It's about saying thank you for this gift. Make me remember where it comes from. The final part of the prayer that I say is, Lord, let me sing of the lowliest place in your heavenly choir. Lord, humble me, your gift, my voice, your servant, Lord to try to remember that I'm really nothing without him up there doing it for me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I've gone out on stage in particular and I would think, my voice is not right tonight, you know, <clears throat> and I trust him. And I think I have to say, maybe I've let him down, but I don't think he's ever let me down. I don't think he's physically capable of that. No, I don't think so. But, but you sometimes have to, I often admire the people in the circuses who do the high wire acts, you know, where they come, mm-hmm. the two girls or the fella catching the girls going, and my heart, I, I can't watch. My heart would be terrified. They must have huge trust in each other. And you've got to trust, therefore, in your accompanist. If you're an acquire your fellow singers, your organist or your orchestra, and you're trusting in other people. But ultimately, I think you're trusting in the man above that you won't make a mess of it on other people, you know. And my aunt taught me early on, always never see yourself as a soloist, but as a, a duo or an orchestral situation because they will dig you out of a mess far often than you'll ever dig them out of a mess. Now that you've been singing for quite a bit, how is it singing in church any different from when you were just started? Well, when I first started, I must admit, now in Hoth, my aunt tried to encourage congregations, which was in the early 1950s. So there was always an opening hymn, which the congregations would sing, and a closing hymn, which the congregation would sing with the choir. Mm-hmm. But there's less choral singing now and more singing in the, in the congregations. There's no reason why the two can't mix. We find some churches where choirs don't really want the congregation to sing. I think that's a pity because you can sing all your harmonies. One of the ways it's changed is that church choirs probably wouldn't be as good today as they were 50, 60, 70 years ago when I started because there aren't as many people going to church and the younger people tend not to join choirs. They might join a folk group or something. It's harder to get choirs and keep them going. For example, when I joined that choir as a six-year-old, there were 45 children in it. And sometimes my aunt used to say, we can't take any more, we can't take any more, you know. But that all changed, you know. But it's lovely to hear the people singing, you know. And people sometimes say to me, I can't sing, I sing, you know. It doesn't matter, you know. There was a song recorded by the Clancy Brothers and Tommy Makem. I don't know if you've ever heard of them or not. All God's crows sing in the choir or something, in fact, you know. And, and that's to me what it's all about, you know. Not that you're singing beautifully like a big competition or something which is a different thing altogether, but that you're doing your best effort. At least that's what I hope, you know. On to COVID. How has it been singing during COVID? It's 
probably a different experience <clears> Well, normally. I was lucky. I was down in St. Anthony's. By the way, I did 10 years regularly on a Saturday night in St. John's and I had some other places like various cathedrals and things that I was actually involved with, with uh, um, an opera company and they wouldn't release me to do the mass. So uh, there was a, a, a very good girl singer came in and took my place. But one of the priests here in the di- parish at the time, Father McElraith, didn't want to lose me. I'd known his... I worked with his sister-in-law on stage and he wanted, he, just around the same time, a very good friend of mine who was the cantor down in St. Anthony's left, retired more or less. She decided she didn't want to carry on any longer. So Cormac asked me would I come down to St. Anthony's for three months. That's 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I was down there for all those years. And then at the start of this year, Father Martin asked me, would I come back to St. Anthony's or St. John's on a Saturday night? Because the girl singer who's down there, Roisin, couldn't do that six o'clock mass anymore. I said I would for two reasons. First of all, my wife always wanted me to be back in St. Anthony's. And the first mass I sang at back in St. John's was her first anniversary mass of the anniversary of her death. But I was lucky in St. Anthony's, there was almost no break. So it was myself, someone serving the mass, the organist and the priest from the start of COVID. And I, I hardly, I think I missed two weeks. I was there each week singing to an empty church, but conscious that you were being seen by people. And I found it extraordinary that I'd sung abroad quite a bit and a number of them had heard that I was going to do this and many of them wouldn't be Catholics. And they tuned into the Mass in St. Anthony's regularly. So they tuned in on a Sunday and I got my criticism from Wales and from England. And uh, the, the, the one lady I had who was living in Italy um, sadly passed away. But I used to get them ringing and say, why did you sing that? I thought you should have sung such. <laughs> so I, I have been very lucky, you know, haven't really missed at all. And now that people are back, you can't invite them to sing because of the rules, but you can't stop them. So they're singing with masks on. I'm very quietly trying not to get caught. Trying not to get caught. (laughs) Would you come and visit me in jail and sing for me, would you? (laughs) No, I think that they take a lot of precautions. But I have found it, again, very humbling because how lucky am I to be able to get mass each week when there are people who are far better people than I will ever be, people whose shoes I'm not fit to walk in couldn't get to Mass and Communion, particularly for some of the people of my own age, and I'm 75 now, and I look at some of those people, and, and I look at the people at funerals who can't go to their brother-in-law's funeral or their cousin's funeral, um, and at one stage couldn't go to their parents' funeral. I, I just feel so insignificant and tiny compared to them. Sorry, it's a bit emotional for me. Um, I feel it very much, and also I'm so grateful that my own wife had such a wonderful funeral. She was privileged to have a big funeral, and uh, my heart goes out to them. So I, it has been an amazing experience going through the COVID with the, with people. It's been an, a very cleansing experience for me. Hopefully, what I've been able to do is to help some people, maybe. And I, I they got me to start a choir, restart a choir. They hadn't had a choir for eighteen years in St Anthony's, and we only got it started a few months, and then and all these poor people, God love them, are asking me when are we going to come back, and I actually don't know. I don't know when choirs can get back, uh, and choirs are so to me are so important to people, you know, socially, emotionally, and also from the religious point of view, you know. It's very moving to see people now coming back on a Sunday morning and, and coming up and want to talk to you, and, you know, and tell you, you're brutal. <laughs> but um, no, the people are lovely, in fact, and very kind and uh, very encouraging, which is amazing, in fact, you know. 
And uh, yes, it's wonderful to sing in church. It really is, you know. I watch this. When I come home from the two masses I do on a Sunday because there's no choir. So I have to do two masses at St. Anthony's and one at St. John's on a Saturday evening. So when I come home on Sunday, I turn on the television and watch Songs of Praise on BBC. <laughs> On singing in church, what's your favourite song to sing? I try not to have a favourite song or hymn. I love some of the older pieces. I do love the Panis Angelicus and the Ave Maria, but there are also some wonderful new young hymns. The wonderful hymn called Give Thanks, which is a great piece, in fact, and and it's new and it's modern and young. I played rugby and I do have a sort of a favourite rugby hymn and I did quite a lot of singing in Wales. And there's a wonderful hymn called Cumbranda. It sets the air of Cumbranda. Guide me, O thou great Redeemer. And I love that hymn. It's really rousing and the words are beautiful. And to me, the music is important in church, but what's more important are the words. And it's the same on stage. I had won a competition on one occasion, which was quite a decent-sized competition here in Dublin, and I was about 19. I went to my singing teacher because I had more competitions to do in the Feshkjol. And there were two well-known actors, Jerry Sullivan and um, Olivia Shanley, were going to him for lessons to keep their voice. Because actors need their voices to be strong and vibrant and fill the theatre. And he made me sing the piece, The Serenade from the Fair Maid of Perth. And I thought I was great. So my head couldn't hardly get in the door. I was so big-headed in those days. When I left, he said, we'll sing it again. We'll be stopping a whole lot. do sing it again. And after about five times, I said, Martin, I have a competition tonight. I said, don't worry about it. Don't get the, get the one right. But I said, last night. So he made me. And we didn't rehearse anything for the night. And I was raging. I was, and he said to me eventually, he said, what's the most important thing about singing? And I said, well, um, the, uh, the key signature. He said, very good, very good, but not quite right. I said, the time signature. He said, that's very good, very good, but it's not quite right. And I, I was puzzled at this stage. And I said, oh, the, the range. He said, well, you shouldn't be singing if it's out of your range. In a company, you know. And I said, I don't know. He said, the words. Because he said to me, you will never match the beauty of a bird singing at dawn or the cry of a mother who holds her newborn baby in her arms or the cry of a father who's lost a daughter or a son. You'll never match those. But if you read the words, you have something that those never can match because you'll know what you're singing about. And he said, always read your words before you sing. So and he, he, he put it, he was a cork, and he said, read the words for fear you know what you're talking about. So I've always tried to make sure I had, for example, I was very lucky when I was doing L'Elysée de More, beautiful Italian opera by Donizetti. And, and the first time I sang it, it was actually an English translation. I didn't sing it in Italian at all, I sang it in English, um, which is much more difficult to language to sing it than Italian, which is a beautiful language to sing. So I, I, I think what is so important to me in church is the words that you use. And one piece that's lovely, and I enjoy singing loads of top notes, tenors are very big headed, they love singing top notes, is You Raised Me Up. But it's a song. And there's nothing wrong with singing songs in church if the words are right. And so I always change the words of, you raised me up to more than I can be, which is what's sung in the song. You raised me up, and I change it, my God alone to see. Because if you're in a loving partnership and relationship, and the other person lifts you up to see God, what greater gift can you get in a marriage or in a relationship? And so I deliberately changed the words. Now, I knew Brendan Graham. He's a, a nephew of the lady who conducted the choir my aunt was in, or my, my wife was in, the Lindsay Singers. And he was at a, at a wedding one day when I was singing it. And he said to me afterwards, you know, you changed the words. I said, yeah, I'm sorry, I hope you don't mind. I said better than the words I had, which was very funny of him, very nice of him. Um, but you can change words slightly, which makes it so much more important. And that's why I think words are so important in hymns. 
And they should, for me, it's important they relate to the, the day. You know, that's why, for example, people probably get fed up with it, but people in Ireland love it. Um, Bring flowers of the rarest, which is the hymn that Father Sidney McEwen, who prompted me to become a cantor, wasn't the best thing he ever sang. It's voice was well past it. And it was recorded in the parish where he was parish priest, a parish called Loch Gilped in Scotland, with a very poor organ in a very, no proper recording for this, but people love it. And it's the words that are in it, I think, as much as the, the tune, in fact. For me, the words are equally as important, not more important than the music. There's another wonderful song that I love. It's called All Are Welcome. And again, the words express that everything is welcome. People are welcome in the church, you know. And for me, the Catholic Church should be welcoming to everyone, regardless of their sexuality, regardless of what they may or may not totally believe. Because if God had wanted to create a perfect church, he would never have taken us out of the Garden of Eden. He would have left us all there and we would all have been perfect. But he left us struggling. And therefore, to me, there always has to be a welcome. And although the, the, the rules are important, I like to think and hope that our church is guided by the two great commandments, love God and love thy neighbour. And love is the greatest of these. I think that's what, what it's all about to me, you know. And uh, that sounds the softly, softly, but it's not. Because loving is hard. Loving will cause you pain and sadness. And I also like abide with me. Call me old-fashioned, but I do like the old abide with me because it has a connection with, with Ireland. Because the guy who, who wrote it, he was from the Scottish borders and he came to study to be an Anglican priest in Trinity College. And while he was here, um, a friend of his died and he ministered to him. And the friend kept saying to him, abide with me, abide with me. And when he went back to Cornwall to actually uh, minister as a priest, uh, an Anglican priest there, he put it to music. And the first time it was ever sung was at his own funeral. But the connection was with Dublin. It all started in Dublin. And everyone thinks of it as an English hymn, but it's a much more connection with Ireland because it went from Scotland, which is Celtic, to Trinity College and Dublin and Ireland. And Skerries, I think, was where the parish his friend was, back to Cornwall. But um, I try not to have favourite pieces to sing either mm-hmm. because particularly for the entertainment side of things, you're there to entertain others, not yourself. To me, it's what they like out there that matters, you know. And I remember the Church of Ireland down here did a wonderful thing some years ago. They actually had a little competition and let, left out forms for people to pick their 10 favourite hymns. And they promised that the 10 favourite hymns over a period of weeks after the, when they tossed them up would be sung. And they did, which I thought was a great idea. Let the congregation pick their favourite hymns, in fact. Yeah. You said that the important thing is to entertain the congregation and that's why you try not to have favourite pieces. But is, is there just any songs that when you see it in your lineup, you're just like, oh God, not this again? No, probably not. Because I look at the words first, mm-hmm. often the tune mightn't be great, but the words will have something in it that says, hey, this is about you. This is about the things you've done wrong. It's about the hope you have in it or something. You know, there's always something there, you know. I would never say, by the way, entertain a congregation. I would yeah. talk about entertain an audience, which is outside church or in church, but not religious. I would always try to pick something which inspires them and lifts them in some way. That's why some people have asked, well, why don't I sing more solos? It's because I'm not there as a soloist. I'm there as a cantor to lead others to sing. And therefore, I try to pick what people describe as the ordinary hymns. There was one I was tempted to sing the other night. I've written a hymn to St. Anthony myself, and they sing it every year down in St. Anthony's church. It's actually the parish priest embarrassed me because I gave it to him as a gift and to the parish some years ago. 
and he he pinned it up on the wall beside the statue of St. Anthony and I feel mortified when I see my name up there like you know um, but it's simple and I hope eventually it'll catch on I was going to sing it here in St. John's the other night and I thought well maybe I'll leave it with St. Anthony's you know cheeky enough to sing it in, in, in St. Anthony's but I'm lucky that way I, this is going to interest you there is one song that I often get fed up singing it's because not alone do I know the person who probably made famous and have had the privilege and terrifying, frightening experience of entertaining this particular person twice in the Shelburne Hotel where I was entertaining. But also you get the feeling that nobody in, in Ireland knows any other aria except Nelson Dorma. <laughs> and yeah. I've been asked to sing it on, and eventually I'll get, I keep singing it until I get it right. Um, <laughs> but having entertained Luciano Pavarotti twice, no, I didn't sing it in front of him. I sang other arias. Because it's not his favourite aria either. His favourite aria was Una Fativa Lagrima from Elisa de More. I had the nerve, the audacity to sing it in front of him. And he was very generous and kind in his praise to me. So I try not to have favourite songs. In fact, you know, there was one song that made me cry and it still does to this day. It's a song that I sang when I was seven years of age and I was taught to sing it. And I was asked would I sing it on a concert by my aunt. It's called Little Boy Blue. And it is very sad. It's this little boy who loves his toy soldiers. And one night he puts them there to play with each other. He tells them to be good and behave themselves. And the angels come in the middle of the night and he dies. I sang it and broke down. And it's still, I still think of that. It's a beautiful little piece. But for a seven-year-old boy to sing it on concert, I made it off the stage and bawled my eyes out. The audience wondered why I didn't go back and take a clap, you know. Because I was crying my eyes out in the arms of somebody in the wings, you know. So, no, I'm lucky that way, that things generally don't affect me. Obviously, the hymns, there was some at my wife's funeral and other funerals. I've sung at family funerals sometimes. But I, I try to step outside things professionally. The one funeral I wasn't able to sing at was my wife's. She had a very good choir up in Gloucester. She did ask me would I sing something. Or if I, I, I never expected that to live my wife. And, and she, I said, do what you want, you know, get a pipe band to play it or something so nobody would be arguing about, you know, and things like that. She did have all her things set out that she wanted, so we did what she wanted. But she did ask me to sing the psalm, but unfortunately I took ill the night before and ended up in hospital. And I was afraid I wouldn't make her funeral. So the following morning, I have two very strong-minded daughters. Dad, you are not going to sing. That's it. No way. So I couldn't sing her funeral. I felt awful I might have let her down a bit, but I hope she understand. I think she does. To get back to what St. Augustine said, uh, he who sings prays twice. Like, you you talked a bit about it earlier, but like, how how true was this for you? Like, because like, when I, when I sang in church, you just kind of like, you just, I felt personally, you just like, your spirit goes up and it's just like, it's a very intimate moment, even though you're in front of a bunch of people. So like, so how is that, how much is it true for you? Very true. You do feel it. That's why, as I say, you've got to keep the humility mm-hmm. very important because you could let it run away with you. Think of all the pieces that are sung at football matches in Italy or think of Welsh rugby and the way they sing what are actually hymns in Wales, you know, and they're sung by crowds and how it lifts people. So you're quite right. And it should lift you. Music should lift you. It should also touch you if it's sad. You know, I've had people say to me when you were singing at my wife's funeral or my husband's funeral or sadly on a few occasions, I, I found it hard for a long time to sing at children's funerals because many years ago I was asked to sing the special mass was written for children. There's a piece called Suffer Little Children to Come Unto Me is the thing that's in it. I found that hard 
at children's funerals, but you do it. You step outside professionally and you become a professional. So that's why I sang at my mother's funeral and my father's funeral. All of those were hard, but you do them because that's where the professionalism steps in. You detach yourself and afterwards you let the emotions come, but not during the, because you mustn't upset people, you know. People have said to me, oh, you, you sang that beautifully, you made me cry, you know. And I usually say, God, it wasn't that bad, was I? <laughs> it's the only way I can cope because the last thing you want, and yet, you know, maybe people are touched at that and they lose the emotion and the tears come. That's actually good for them. And it's the words. All right. It seems I've run out of questions. Thank you so much for joining and taking the time to speak with me today. It is my really, privilege and honor. I really enjoyed talking and hearing your stories. Again, God so bless much. you for what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Parich. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If you would like more information on the activities that were discussed in this episode, please visit our website, www.stjohnsclontarf.ie. We look forward to meeting with you again. Until then, may God hold you in his hand.